When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, theology, and I answered them as best I could with stories from the Bible, theology, and my own experience. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take the questions of the day and answer them as best I can. Today's big question of the day is about Advent, because we're starting this early Advent season. More on that later. But the question I'm asking is, what is repentance? What is repentance? What does it mean to repent? And what is confession? What does it mean to confess? And those are two kind of big questions we ask ourselves when it comes to uh, politics these days. We have a lot of apologies. People do stupid things. They do dumb things. They do cruel things. They do things that create a lot of public outrage. And then there's the apology. And I don't know about you, but whenever I hear these apologies, they always sound like a lawyer wrote them. And lawyers are, of course, very skilled and adept often. And uh, I have a lot of respect for attorneys and lawyers that I know because they're able to keep you out of trouble or get out of getting into more trouble, usually, if something bad's already happened. And attorneys are there to protect their client from digging a deeper hole. And so the, the uh, language of apology becomes the language of self-protection. And very few public apologies sound at all as if somebody's sorry. They just sound, as my parents would say, sorry you got caught. And that is a kind of sorrow for sure, but it doesn't ever seem to be very genuine. And it very rarely rings true when someone makes a mistake publicly and then apologizes. We need something more, it seems. So we look at this um, the story that is presented to us in today's gospel lesson, uh, the story of John the Baptist appears in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, John the Baptizing one, I should say he's not a Baptist in the sense that we think of that word today, but he is known for this uh, very unique and uh, inspirational baptism that is that he is performing out in the Jordan River. Uh, the, the water is, is symbolizing the repentance, the washing away of, of sin, and, he, and people are flocking to him. Now, this is a post-traumatic advent, too. We're asking, what is the post-traumatic advent? And I think it is characterized by repentance and confession. And it's often uh, troubling to hear someone who experiences PTSD or other kinds of trauma and then talking about repentance in that context. It sounds a lot like victim blaming or victim shaming when that is brought up. And yet, when we look at the context of John the Baptist's message, the context is the occupation of the Romans on the, the land of Galilee and the land of Judea, where Jerusalem is. And John the Baptist is, was born into the center of that, into a priestly family. He grows up and becomes a prophet. Now, this is the time of year where kids go to breakfast with Santa or Santa's at the mall. And you know, like every other kid that goes up to Santa is uh, is crying. And um, I know at least my from my 
experience with my children, trying to get them to pose with Santa is like a traumatic experience. They cry, they look, he's scary, they look at his white beard and run away. And uh, this happens over and over again with mascots and other characters that we want our kids to take a picture with them. Look, take a picture with Bugs Bunny and crying ensues. And I thought for Advent leading up to Christmas, it'd be better if churches and other groups had a had a John the Baptist for kids to take pictures with. And then they could really be scared because he's kind of a scary character. He's a very inspirational and dynamic, charismatic character, but he's dressed funny. We rarely have descriptions of people's clothing in the Bible. Uh, here, wouldn't be nice to have a snapshot of everybody, but here we just have um, this description of this camel hair garment, this kind of wo rough woven uh, wool garment, camel wool garment, and a leather belt around his waist. And you can imagine him cinching it down a notch every time he eats another locust and wild honey. Last time I checked, you can you have to eat a lot of locusts and wild honey to maintain your weight. Uh, John the Baptist is definitely a, a wizened, skinny figure out there in the desert. I'm surprised this diet, locusts and wild honey, hasn't caught on in some Christian circles to be advertised um, for, for pre-Christmas uh, eating. Uh, although maybe it's the locust supply is tough this time of year. I don't know. But John the Baptist is out there eating locusts and wild honey. And he's out in the wilderness. He is enacting what his people are going through. They are in the wilderness. His people are adrift. They're under occupation. They, they are still in exile and they still have not come home. And he is enacting their own estrangement out in the wilderness. Prophets would do this often in the, in the Old Testament. You see them going to different places and performing through their own lives and in their own bodies, performing messages. Paul Tillich. Uh, now, if I were to stand on the uh, street corner and shout like John the Baptist, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, uh, you would think I was a kook, a street preacher, and maybe some kind of Baptist street preacher, I don't know. But really what John the Baptist is doing is performance art. He is out there performing what the experience of his people. Paul Tillich, a World War I army chaplain and then theologian, wrote that artists are the, the prophets of our age. If we want to know what's wrong with our society, what's wrong with the greed in our society, the, the consumerism that consumes us, the envy, the jealousy, all the infections of the soul that plague our current communities. If we want to know what that looks like, it's really good to visit art museums and galleries to see what artists are saying about today. And usually they're saying messages that are quite disturbing and often uh, put them at odds with large, the mainstream of society. Um, but artists can put a finger often on what's wrong with us right now. And they also often have a vision of the future that, that could include some real, real hope. John the Baptist definitely has a vision of the future that includes hope. Um, and he is pointing to the coming of the Messiah, of, to Jesus. That is what he points to. John the Baptist is a prophet and he's a saint. And like all saints and prophets, they point to Jesus. And I hope I do that in my life and work, that I point you to Jesus not to myself or anyone else, but pointing to Jesus because Jesus embodies the hope for the world that Christians have. Um, but this is the Mr. Advent man. 
John the Baptist, he's out there. Um, he's calling people to repentance and confession. And the, the, the word repent, metanoia in Greek, is the word to turn around, to do an about face, to go from doing one thing to doing another. Uh, it has to do with actions, the direction of your life, the direction you're headed. Uh, and repentance for John the Baptist, often repentance is couched, and I, I owe this to Dave Scheider, who originally said it, I think, um, that repentance in our modern context is often repent, believe in Jesus, and then join my church and leave your church or leave your whatever and uh, join me and follow me and be in my group. And repentance for John the Baptist is, is a message to his own people in his own faith saying, uh, come home, come back to the foundation of your faith, come back to the covenant that you left, come home. And so the message of repentance and Advent is a message to come home. And each of us have a very complicated relationship with our homes, what we consider to be the place that we call home. Often the, our families of origin, um, people do go back home for Christmas. I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. And yet, as the philosopher, the Greek philosopher said, you can go home, but you can never go home. We are always wondering if we can step, step in the same river twice. Um, Family systems theory often talks about how whenever you go to your parents' house within five minutes, you revert to the, the last developmental level you were when you were living there. Uh, we, we have a complicated relationship with home. And if we grew up in religion, some kind of faith background, and we've left it, it's often very hard to re-experience Christianity or faith after we've left it. And so maybe this Advent is a time to repent and come home for you. A time to say, what direction do I really need to go in my life? And I, I think of this in a post-traumatic context of how do you tell people who have been traumatized to repent? Isn't that kind of victim blaming and victim shaming? And I think it can be in many cases. And I'm very careful to tell anybody who's been through a difficult experience that maybe uh, there's work, spiritual work they have to do because it does often go in that direction. And yet John the, John the Baptist is talking to people who are living in the midst of the Roman occupation. They are living everyday traumas in this occupation. They are, um, at any moment, their lives can be taken from them and those that they love. If they say the wrong thing, they go the wrong place, do the wrong thing, wear the wrong clothes, uh, that the ax can fall on them very quickly and no one will do anything about it. Um, they, they are powerless in many situations that they experience. And what happens when people are, are crushed and pushed down by occupation, by oppression, by injustice, they often, we often uh, find ways to cope. And many of those ways to cope are very self-destructive. I know this from my experience in the army. The more pressure that army leaders put on the junior soldiers, the more acting out they did, the more self-destructive behavior, the more they drank in problem drinking, the more relationship problems they have, the more abuse there seem to be uh, in, in relationships, and the more self-destruction. And this is not to blame them as victims. This is to say just what happens when people are put in pressure cookers, when people are put in situations that make the normal 
uh, give and take of life really, really difficult. And so John the Baptist people that he is talking to have been through this. They have, in their own oppression, become oppressors of others. They need to turn back to the covenant, the covenant that was made to them in the desert, now is being renewed to them in the desert. The covenant that was made to them in the wilderness when they escaped from Egypt is being renewed there in this in the desert environment. And the wilderness is also a place of trial and testing, a time when you can't rely on all those props that have propped up your life. When you go camping, it's still true even today when you go camping. All those normal creature comforts just aren't there anymore. And I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you had to go to the wilderness, a time where all those creature comforts, whether physical or emotional or spiritual, just weren't there. Maybe you're in that wilderness right now in this Advent season. Maybe you can't trust anyone anymore. You can't rely on the people that you normally relied on. And in that wilderness, we have an opportunity to meet ourselves in a way that we've never met ourselves. We have a way, also an opportunity to meet God in a way we've never met God. One of the reasons I love ultra marathoning and running long distances is because I have this, I have moments where my memory will bring things up to me that I have not dealt with. And this can be really disturbing. Uh, during one 100 miler, the only one I've ever finished, I've attempted it twice, but I finished it once. Uh, I had memories come back to me that I had forgotten, really difficult memories from ways I had acted towards other people and things I had said to them. And all these memories came like flooding back to me at one in the morning in the dark as I tried to make my way painfully around mile 60 or 70 or something of this race. And I remember being just overwhelmed, but I had nowhere to go. I couldn't get off the course. I couldn't quit at that time. I couldn't drink. I couldn't smoke. I couldn't uh, eat. I couldn't, uh, you know, there was no, no way to like emotionally escape from those thoughts and feelings in the way that I can normally try to numb myself, distract myself, put on a podcast, put on an audio book, watch a show, whatever I do to escape reality. Reality was confronting me. And I worked through it and I prayed to God and I cried out to God, please heal me from this. Heal Heal those memories. Heal. I'm sorry for what I did. I don't want to be like that anymore. I don't want to say those things anymore. And, and it was a great moment of repentance for me there in the dark in the woods. I think that often in the wilderness, those moments can come to us in a way that they can't come any other time. And it says that the people were confessing their sins. The word confession in the New Testament in Greek is the word um, homo logos, logos, and it's kind, it's kind of constructed a few different ways. Sometimes there's an X in front of it, X homo logos, like, and it really simply means to say the same thing as, or to, to speak out of the same words that someone else has said. Um, that's kind of confusing, but, but it's basically, did you steal the cookies from the cookie jar? And you say, yes, I steal the cookies from the cookie jar. That's a confession. To say the same thing as the accusation. If you say, no, I didn't steal the cookies from the cookie jar, that's not confession. And so confession is simply saying what is the truth, being honest with God and honest with each other. One of the powers of recovery groups, whether it's Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, 
is the power of honesty, the power of saying what's really going on. And the church should be a place where we can confess our sins to one another and to God. And if you haven't ever done this, I encourage you this Advent to go to a fellow Christian or someone you trust and tell them something, something that you've been holding in your heart and holding on to. I encourage you to find a, a discreet priest, as the prayer book says, to make a confession to. Um, that is a powerful thing, something I do um, as often as I can, because there's such joy in it. Uh, John the Baptist makes it really clear that this apocalyptic vision is one that brings new life, that we can often see the work of the prophets and the work of artists as being that everything will, will be cast down and destroyed. But John the Baptist is not saying that. He is saying that everything is being renewed, that this fire that is coming, that Jesus is going to bring, is a fire of the Holy Spirit. It'll connect people from one to the other. Remember the day of Pentecost? There's tongues of fire that come among the people. It's the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And they go out and speak all these languages. They share good news. So the Holy Spirit fire that's coming that John the Baptist talks about is a fire of connection, it is a fire of new life, it is a fire that brings warmth and life to so many people. That is the unquenchable fire that John the Baptist is talking about. And so I encourage you to get to know Mr. Advent Man, this Advent, in this post-traumatic Advent, and to think about places in your life that you need to repent and turn around on, and other places that, where you need to confess and be honest about and I can, I can assure you that the coming of this baby in Bethlehem will be a lot more joyful if you've experienced the joy of repentance, the joy of confession, the joy of listening to this voice crying in the wilderness. Amen.